Learn Persian with Trying Conversation, Raising Nimrunis, a conversation with Reza Aslan. Welcome to this Raising Nimdrunis edition of Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation. I'm your host, Leila Shams, and today's interview is Reza Aslan, who in recent years has become one of the most respected and recognizable Iranian Americans out there. He wears many hats, and his resume is too long to go through, but among other things, he's the author of several books, including his number one New York Times bestseller, Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. He's a commentator, a professor, a producer, a scholar of religions. I actually met Reza at a podcasting conference last August, remember those things, conferences, shortly after coming up with the idea for this podcast series. He was there as a keynote speaker promoting his then-new podcast with Rain Wilson called Metaphysical Milkshake. After his presentation, we had coffee, and he told me his experiences of raising three, which has since become four, half-Iranian children. He enthusiastically agreed to be interviewed for the podcast and connected me with several other people I ended up interviewing for this series. So I really thank him for his enthusiasm and for his help along the way with this project. So for some context, we finally recorded this interview the first week after the lockdown was announced from COVID-19. So I was a little shell-shocked, but Reza was certainly in good spirits. Let's listen to the interview. Reza, so welcome. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited uh, yeah. to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And I have a whole series of questions. So we're recording this on March 20th. And the world has changed a lot in the last week. So first of all, if you can tell me about your background, where you were born, what your relationship has been with Iran, learning the language. I was born in Tehran. My father's family is mostly from the south of Iran. The, you know, a few Baluchis in there somewhere. And then my mother's family is mostly from Isfahan. Mm-hmm. And they met in university in Tehran, and, and that's kind of where they settled with my father's side of the family, and that's where I was born. My middle sister was also born in Iran, and then, of course, we left in 1979, and we've grown up mostly in California, and then we also have, I have another sister who was born here. You know, we, we're that sort of generation that so many first-generation Iranians in the U.S. are, you know, where we came here in the 80s, it was a very bad time to be Iranian because of the hostage crisis. You know, I, I, for one, tried very hard to distance myself as much as possible from my culture and my heritage. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, the language issue where you're trying to learn English and uh, the importance of trying to fit in. And because, you know, my parents were immigrants struggling just to get by. I mean, you know, for them, if the day ended with everybody alive, fed, and in bed, that was a success. There wasn't this kind of overwhelming effort to make sure that we all knew knew Persian, that we all studied it, and that we all maintained our fluency. So all of that contributed to the fact that by the time high school came around, I was completely illiterate mm. in Farsi. I didn't know how to read. Uh, I didn't really know how to speak it. Obviously, like most kids like myself, I understood it because, you know, my parents would speak to me in Farsi and then I would respond in English. And so I would understand it, but I couldn't speak it. 
So then pretty soon after moving here, I'm guessing your siblings, like you would speak English with your siblings as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And the great irony of all this, by the way, is really funny because in my family, the, the, the member that is the most fluent that can speak Farsi the best, read and write it the best is my littlest sister who was born ah. here in America. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this, this created a lot of embarrassment for me, you know, especially when I went to grad school and decided, you know, I was going to study this stuff for a living. You know, I had to take courses in Farsi. I had to, I had to mm-hmm. sit in the beginning, uh, you know, Persian class with a bunch of white people, you know, relearning my language from scratch, how to write it, how to read it, how to speak it. And then of course, getting constant shit from the professor who is like a white dude from Texas who spoke Farsi with like the eloquence of a, of like an Ayatollah. I mean, this guy spoke so well. <laughs> Oh, wow, from Texas. So was he part of like Hillman's whole, like the University of Texas? That's actually where I'm at. I'm in Austin. No, well, actually, if your listeners are interested, his name is Wheeler Thaxton, and he is America's premier scholar of the Persian uh, language. He's also okay. the top Syriac and Coptic. And But if you, if you go to university and you take a serious Persian class, you have a mm-hmm. Wheeler Thaxton book. Uh, he's also done some really, really cool translations of great books, you know, like you know, Nasser Khosrow and things like that. And he would always, he was, he would give me so much shit for my, <laughs> what he would call my tarantulous accent. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I would say things and he would be like, no, that's not how we speak. You know, so... <laughs> That was, it was frustrating. It was a really frustrating experience, you know, and even to this day. So after, you know, whatever, three years of intense graduate level training in Farsi, I can sort of write, read and speak it like a fifth grader. would. <laughs> and was he teaching formal or was he teaching informal language? Oh, in no, it was no, no, no. I'm like, if you accidentally said something in a colloquial if you said mitunam instead of mitavonam, <gasps> you know, he would lose his shit. That's <laughs> interesting. Like, wow. Like, no, that is not what we are studying here. <gasps> wow. With your tarantulous, your tarantulous <laughs> Farsi. But then, you know, of course, I had these grand dreams that, oh, well, when I have kids, oh, you wait and see. I'm going to teach them. From the beginning, that's what I'm gonna do. And okay, which, which brings us, which brings us to our next question. <laughs> so, so how did you meet your spouse, and what is her cultural background? First of all, uh, my spouse has no culture. She is a wasp. She <laughs> okay. is like salt of the earth, Midwestern, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mutt. Okay, um, <laughs> it's funny. You know, we did our 23 and Me's. And hers came back like a kaleidoscope of colors. <laughs> you know, it was like every color in the rainbow. Mine came back, it said 98% Persian. Mm. <laughs> 2% other. Oh, that's literally what it said. Wow. I was like, okay, that's really the difference between, you know, Americans and, and Iranians. She's, yeah, she's like, you know, she's got some... German, some Irish, you know, like like all white people in America, just just an absolute mutt. Okay, okay, and then and you just had a, a fourth child. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, what are the ages of your kids? 
So we have eight-year-old twins. Again, it's one thing to have one kid and, and say, <laughs> I'm going to, in the middle of trying yes. to figure out how to keep a child alive, right. also teach that child, you know, a foreign language. It's another thing to try that with twins. We have eight-year-old, eight-year-old twin boys, mm-hmm. uh, Jasper and Cyrus, Jaspar and Cyrus, <laughs> both Persian names. People mm-hmm. don't realize that Jasper is a Persian name. And then we have a five-year-old boy named Asa. Uh, comes from the Persian word Asha, the old Pahlavi word Asha, which means truth and light. And then we now have our first girl, Soraya. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay. Just when I gave up, just when yeah. I gave up on the idea that I that I could possibly have a girl, right, right, a girl shows up. <laughs> well, congratulations, that's awesome. But um, okay, so tell me, how is it going with teaching them Persian? <laughs> Well, so about midway through the year last year, I just gave up. I was like, you know what? This isn't this isn't going to happen. I can keep pretending mm-hmm. that I'm going to, you know, teach my kids Persian, but it's just not going to happen. Like at a certain point, you just have to face reality right. and say, I'm not doing that. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, what are my options? There aren't that many options. You know, there are a lot of, I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so, mm-hmm. you know, Terangelis, there are a lot of courses if you check up you know online like how to teach kids persian or persian classes or whatever and it's the same thing that you know i have a really good friend who's korean and and their kids on saturdays and sundays sit through like five hours of actual korean class Mm -hmm. and i mean her kids are better than my kids would never do that my kids would (laughs) would absolutely revolt Mm-hmm. at the idea of spending their Saturday and Sunday sitting in a classroom learning Persian. And then I found this great Persian instructor who five days a week does sit in a classroom and teach people, but on the weekends is willing to kind of come to the house. And it was a really interesting thing because when she first came, I kind of told her, I was like, look, I don't really care if my kids know how to read and write. That's not important to me. I mean, I just would like them to be able to speak it. I'd like them to be able to like carry a conversation with, you know, their grandmother or something like that. And so the first, you know, month or so, that's what they did. It just didn't work for some reason. It wasn't working. And then just for fun, I gave them each their notebooks and had them write a few letters down. And then all of a sudden everything clicked. So weirdly, they're being taught how to read and write. And they're just taking to it so well. They love the idea of learning to write in a, in a completely different Aww. alphabet, writing right to left instead of left to right. And it's kind of, they've, they've been flowering since then. Okay. Well, so what about you? Like, do you try speaking Persian with them or are you just English? How? how <laughs> yeah, yeah look, I, 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 I so want to be able, I so want to be that guy. Yeah, I so yeah. want to be that guy. <laughs> I want to just be like, you know what? This is what I, yeah, I totally practice speaking Farsi to them, but I don't, you know, after class on Saturday, I will for like five minutes and then I'll just forget. And you know, look, what are you going to do? I mean, at this point, my hope is that they will get this sort of foundational experience, mm-hmm. right? This idea of the Persian script and connecting these letters together and understanding how the language works. The very idea that the verb comes last in a sentence is so strange and, 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 right. and exhilarating to them that, that language can work that way. 
that you know, I feel like one step at a time, like this is where we, we can get to, you know, like let's get to this first. And then maybe when they get older and they want to do this, you know, more deliberately, come back to it more deliberately, it'll click for them in an interesting way. See, it's fascinating because I left Iran at seven mm-hmm. and they started learning Persian at seven. Mm-hmm. So I stopped learning at seven and they start, they started learning at seven. And I feel like they're going to be in a better place if they choose to pick it up again when they're right. older than I was. Right. Right. Because when I was seven years old, that's the last time I wrote a Persian word wow. until I was in graduate school. Whereas they're now, you know, at seven, eight, nine, ten, they're writing Persian words. And right. I think it, it just makes a big, big difference. Right. Well, it's just, it is interesting. So I've spoken to several people now about this. And I feel like all of us who are married to a non-Iranian had these aspirations of like only speaking Persian with our kids or, you know, definitely keeping it up. And every single person I've talked to has failed miserably. And I mean, I've, I've, I've heard of people who do that. <laughs> right, right, right. I, they, are, they are out there, apparently. They exist. But then, but I mean, my question is, what do they do as the family language? Like, is their spouse just left out all the time? We had that same ex- uh, idea even when it came to just my wife, you know, she was like, yeah, I'm going to learn it too. We're going to learn it together. Right. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. We've you know, that when we first got together, yeah, she learned a little bit of it. It's like, well, right. that didn't work. Right. And then I was like, well, you know what? She can sit in with the, with the kids when they get their instruction. She can too. Right. I lasted about two weeks and then I was like, <laughs> okay, well, the, ba- the baby needs this, but you know, <laughs> right. what are you going to do? What are you going to well, do? I am going to say you sound the most at peace with it. Like everyone else has said, I've had these aspirations. I failed, but this is what everyone should do. You should try doing this, but I haven't done it. <laughs> I haven't done it, but the right. rest of you. You should, you should try it. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of refreshing to hear how at peace you are with, with what you're doing. And I guess my question is, is it even important to, to teach the language? Like, why, why are you even going the step of, you know, having the tutor? Like, why is it so important for them to know? Yeah, that's an easy, that's an easy answer. <laughs> I mean, look, there, there are a number of reasons. Number one, just uh, on a just completely objective and neutral position, mm-hmm. the learning of a foreign language fires synapses in the brain mm-hmm. that are otherwise unused. And so the learning of a language isn't just about learning the language. It's about, it's about new ways of using your brain, new ways of thinking. Learning a foreign language as a young person allows for um, symbolic thinking. So it allows the person mm. later in life to be able to, to draw and compare symbolic analyses, right? To use symbolic thinking to draw conclusions and lines between seemingly disparate ideas. The definition of genius that I've always thought, you know, worked best is the genius is the person who can draw connections between seemingly disparate and unconnected things, mm-hmm. right? And that's what symbolic abilities that that sort of are awakened in your cognitive processes allow for. Mm-hmm. So, just in a general point, just any kind of foreign language training mm-hmm. at a young age, no matter what it is, whether it's Persian or Spanish, it doesn't matter, unlocks abilities that are going to be hugely important to their success later in life. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is 
language has always been the most efficient means of cultural transmission. Mm, okay. You know, we can we can have a million Maimunis, we can celebrate, you know, Noruz, we can do all kinds of activities, but culture, the stickiness of culture really relies on the glue of language. Mm-hmm. And so the very notion that culture carries with it, you know, this kind of linguistic aspect, I think is super important. So if you want your kids to be adept at multiple cultures, language is the opening Mm. for that. So, you know, for many of us who have half Persian kids, Mm -hmm. if you want them to maintain adherence to their Persian culture, even the most basic, the most rudimentary understanding of Persian as a language can become the most vital and an immediate way of doing that. Yeah. So in general, it's just trains the brain, but more specifically, it is a culture transmission mechanism. That's what language is. Right. Because for a second language, I mean, it would be more efficient to teach them Spanish or, you know, French or something that's more accessible here, right? But why specifically Persian? So I I love that answer because I've always thought, I mean, there's music too and there's food and but I, I love what you're saying about language in particular. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. and you as a person, you're a religious scholar, so you've kind of transcended that whole like being Persian. That's not what you're known for. So then in general, I'm wondering what your relationship is with the Iranian culture and with the Iranian diaspora in w- where you live. I know in Tehranjalis. <laughs> yes, I do live in um, Southern California. We have you know, 300,000 Iranians yeah. here. It's the largest Persian community outside of Iran. But it also tends to be a fairly conservative group. It's a group that is riven by political disagreements. We have a right. lot, a lot of right-wing Shah supporters here. Wow, I mean, every, right. Every Nowruz, every Nowruz, you know, uh, Westwood Boulevard is covered in, in billboards with the Shah's face on it. You know, it's insane. Wow. Okay. We don't have that in Texas at all. No, no, I know. (laughs) And then if that weren't enough, we have sort of the opposite group here as well, the the MEK group, right? right? The sort of uh, radical, you know, um, Marxists. So, you know, it's, and then we have the generational divide. It's -hmm. it's really ugly here. Mm -hmm. It's really ugly. And it didn't take me that long to realize that I should, I don't want anything to do with this. Mm, okay. <laughs> and so I really don't, I don't do anything uh, with the, okay. the Persian community in, in Los Angeles. I keep my distance mm-hmm. um, from it, you know, um, as much as possible. I try my hardest not to get involved in the, the political infighting. But I think insofar as being in a place where, you know, I have access to, the best cello kebab outside of Tehran. You know, that, that's <laughs> right. nice. Yeah, that part yeah. is good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely take advantage of that. Right. Well, so how are you passing on, how do you feel that you're passing on Persian culture to your kids? Is that something you do deliberately more than through language? So there's, yeah, beyond the language, which I do think is super important, beyond the language, I think obviously celebrations, holidays, those are really important. They, mm-hmm. It's nice, you know, I show up to school once a year with a half scene and nice. I t- teach their entire second grade about 
the the holiday and what it means and and they feel really special there are actually mm-hmm. four half persian kids in their second grade oh nice um, you know all four of them stand next to me and and i think there's this kind of idea that this is me this is this is about me that mm-hmm. you know the four of us are different than everybody else mm-hmm. in this class and this day is for us that idea of ownership is so hugely important for young kids right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea that this is what makes them special and unique, this is what sets them apart. I think those are the kinds of feelings that you want to foster because those feelings will then encourage them to continue to you know explore their tradition. So that's a huge one. And then of course you you already mentioned the other one which is food. Food is a big deal, you know. We like once a week, you know, we all eat chello kebab here. And nice. they know that that's what's happening, and they know that it's Persian, and they know it's special, it's different, it's unique that other kids don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that that idea of this is what makes you special, this is what makes you different. That's what you want to foster in young people. Right, right. And I think another question that I think you can answer very nicely: What parts of the culture are you purposely not passing on and staying away? <laughs> Um, the racism part, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a big, that's a yep. big part, you know, uh-huh. uh, any Persian will tell you we are the most racist people in the yes. world. We're just, I mean, that 23 and me thing I was just joking about, but like, you know, I had to grow up, my, my dad would tell me, you know, all the time about how quote unquote pure we were. Wow. <laughs> right. right. Where, yeah. where, you know, you hear this all the time from right. Persians. Like, you know, you, that that kind of language, like purity <laughs> language, should have right. immediately set off warning bells. Um, <laughs> the big joke in my house is that it turned out he was weirdly right. And, you know, when I got the 23 and me thing, and I was like, holy shit. This is- and you ruined it. You ruined yeah, it with exactly. your kids. <laughs> I totally dirtied, I dirtied the line. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but you know, my mom would tell me all the time, like, have your fun with the white girls. But obviously, <laughs> right. obviously when it's time, you know, it's time. So that part, <laughs> you know, I definitely tried to avoid as much as possible, the sort of supremacy part. But I think for me, it's it's a matter of just kind of giving them as much of a flavor as possible. The really heartbreaking aspect of it is that in our family, travel is not just important, it's a family value, right? Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have like family values that we've posted mm. on the wall. Like these are the things that make us who we are. Uh-huh. And travel is a value. Mm. And we have been all over the world. We've been, we've been everywhere. You know, just a couple of summers ago, we, we went on an 80-day journey around the world to experience different cultures, different belief systems. And you're in Turkey, you're in Palestine, you're in Jordan, you're in Egypt, and, you know, you're experiencing these sort of different ways of different Middle Eastern communities, Turkish and Arabic, and then to not be able to experience their own community, to not be able to go to Iran is heartbreaking. To not be able to say... This is actually yours. This right. this is what you are is is just devastating. Yes. I, mean, I, I just don't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know. Right, right. Well, you'd also told me a story about how your mom introduces you as a professor still. 
<laughs> of course. So you want to tell that story? I loved it. I've been repeating. Well, it. look, I mean, this is—I mean, this isn't just unique to the the Persian American experience. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very common for I think most immigrants that you know you can't go around telling your parents, "Hey, I know that you sacrificed everything in order to to come here and start a new life, but I'm going to be a writer." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I remember as clear as day, the day that I told my mom that I was uh-huh. going to be a writer. Uh-huh. She said, who's stopping you from writing? <laughs> like, go, you, what do you mean? Like, go write all you want to. Go be a doctor and then write. <laughs> like, like, what do you mean you want to, like, write? And I was right. like, no, no, mom. I'm writing as a career, like as a job. And she's like, well, get out of here. That's not a job. And so, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, then I'll become a professor. How about that? And they're like, well, okay, can I still, can I still refer to you as, as Dr. Reza? <laughs> Dr. Reza? And I was like, yeah, you could. You could do that, sure. So she, you know, she still does that. She still, everyone's still laughs. Like, my son, doctor. And I was like, not that kind of doctor. Like, That's it's like odd. a totally useless, useless doctor. <laughs> well, so for my last question, I just wanted to ask you, you know, we're we're here now, the Iranians are here, and we're not really keeping this whole pure line. We're, we're integrating into different societies. It's obvious, as you said, we're not going back. Hopefully we can visit at some point, um, but who knows when that'll be. But what is your hope for you know, the future of the Iranian diaspora as we become more integrated. How do you hope this is going to go in future generations? Well, I mean, I think that we need to learn from a lot of other diasporas and start to actually flex our muscles a little bit. I mean, Mm. this is our home. This is our country. And I understand that, you know, many of us came from a world in which the idea of political participation was laughable. Mm -hmm. Um, But Iranians are among the wealthiest and the most highly educated and and successful immigrant communities in the United States. And we've done a great job of making money for ourselves, but we haven't done a very good job of using that money or the power that comes with it to actually affect change that benefits our community. And in fact, when organizations arise that try to do that, they immediately get wrapped up in the whole sort of, you know, political infighting that I was just talking about. Right, right. Um, so I think that that's going to be a generational shift. I think mm-hmm. you, you're going to see a new generation arise that's going to run for office, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to, you know, become artists and writers and musicians, uh, you know, all the things that, you know, their parents told them they couldn't be. Right. And then what you'll, what you'll see is, is a, different, a different way in which the community is responded to one that I think is much more commiserate with the the power that we have. I and love the that. numbers that we represent. Right. I love that. And it seems like we're becoming more connected as a community as well. And I think that that really raises our profile. And you're on the board of NIAC. Are you still doing that? Yes. Uh, okay. I should say that NIAC is, you know, although it does do a lot of work for the domestic community, it is still very much geared towards foreign policy mm-hmm. towards Iran. So if you're an Iranian in the United States and you are concerned about your family back in Iran, right. um, Nayak is a very good resource for you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are a lot of cultural uh, groups, Farhang and the Hand Foundation, I think still exists. Mm-hmm. You know, those, kinds of, those kinds of organizations are still hugely important, but those are more, more about 
culture and, and heritage, art, things like that. Right. So I think there, there are definitely ways of connecting with the, the broader community, but nevertheless, there's no real um, substitute for food, music, culture, art. You know, those are the things that you can do yourself at home. You don't need a community behind you. Right, right. Well, thank you so much. I, I should have asked you this earlier, but what is, uh, it, I know you're working on Rough Draft um, with Reza Aslan, and you have a podcast with Rain Wilson on the Luminary Network. Is there any other way that people can find you? You have a lot of projects. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you just go to rezaslan.com and, and, you know, you can keep up with me there. I'm just kind of, you know, at home working on the <laughs> next book right now. And okay. uh, it's kind of good timing for me, actually. <laughs> yeah. Are all the kids at home, too? Or how are you getting any work done? Oh, they are all home. <laughs> they are all home. Wow. <laughs> okay, hopefully you have a good home office set up there. And they're going to be, yeah, yeah, they, thank goodness. And they're going to be home for the, it looks like, for the remainder of second grade. Oh, my goodness. And okay. I just got a note today that said, prepare for the fact that your kids will not be going back to school. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, Crazy. Crazy, a, but yeah, there you go. An interesting time we're all going through. But it's very refreshing to talk to you, and I, I had a great time hearing your thoughts about this subject. So I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Take care. Okay, bye. And there you have it. We hope you enjoyed the interview. For more interviews, check out the culture section of our blog at chaiandconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. And while you're there, check out our vast resources for learning the Persian language and culture. Also, check out our other podcast for our free conversational Persian lessons. We teach the Persian language all the way from the beginning level all the way to teaching Persian poetry. You can find those on our website. Again, chaiandconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I or wherever you find your podcast. So thank you for listening and until next time.